Fun fact, one time the lead singer of Smash Mouth asked my mom to do coke, and she said no. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to tell us right now that she was like, any day. But in a parallel universe, she said yes. (laughs) In a parallel universe, they have a kid together. And that kid is is me. I'm an (laughs) all-star. I'm like, get it. You're listening to We Explain Movies. Everything is normal. Everything is fine. This is how the podcast sounds all the time. (laughs) Oh, that was good. Nothing is different. Even, like, just hearing my voice while I have headphones in, I'm like, I'm in a cave. (laughs) Anyways, hi, welcome to We Explain Movies, uh, a podcast that has taken the coast of California by storm. (laughs) Ooh, three points on the coast. Yeah, we do what we want. No one got stuck in central California, because boo. Boo. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Kayleen is babysitting Evan Rachel Peters, our microphone, while the girls are gone. Technically, we are still using our microphone, but it's different. Yeah, so it's the same, but different. But at least she's included. Cool. Well, welcome. We all are nowhere near each other. It's the first for our podcast because we all went from living with each other to not. And yeah, we're gonna record a simply spoilers episode. Get your ass ready for the greatest movie of all time. A truth fact. <laughs> Do you want to take away the uh, intro of what we're doing this week? Sure. In the year 2016, the world was a dumpster fire. (laughs) At the tail end of it, things got real bad. But a week after, Arrival came out. Yay, Arrival. (laughs) Wasn't that kind of the turn when you went, oh, Amy Adams is my wife? Amy Adams was my wife. And also, so anyways, this week we're doing Arrival. You can tell from the title. Very special movie, near and dear to my heart. And it also just, uh lifted my spirits during one of the worst possible times. Uh, I saw that film right after the 2016 election and thought, things can't get worse. (laughs) Um, And I was kind of like, we had played around with maybe recording an episode on it, like around the 2020 election time, just to talk about, you know, how this movie really restored my faith in humanity. But now we're currently going through a pandemic. And so I thought, let's let's talk about it now. So we're doing Arrival, which is a film that uh, makes me feel something and not dead inside, and I think it's an important film that really shows the good in humanity and what we can all accomplish, and it's beautiful and heartbreaking and yet uplifting. You know, the themes of the movie, I think, are really relevant right now. Yeah. Super. And I'm sure that we'll get into deciphering and analyzing what those are a little bit later. We don't really have a format for Simply Spoilers. We just kind of like to talk. But So what do you guys want to say about this film? What's maybe your like initial reaction to watching it? Uh, how do you feel about the film? How many times have you seen it? Etc. Just going off of what Kimmy literally just said, when we were watching this movie, we kind of, Courtney and I, woke up early. And it was also rainy and gloomy that day, as it has been a lot recently. Um, and we were just chatting over Zoom, but not video chatting. Anyway, the point of this being that I immediately sent you a message that said, the gloom of this movie feels exactly like the feeling that is just looming over us right now, where it's like, it's not even necessarily something that I have a word for. It's just a vibe that the movie had going for it, that I was feeling exactly that. Did you watch that? uh, It was, I believe, the special feature 
Zeta Is that where you're going to talk about dirty sci-fi? Yeah, but did you hear what uh, Denise said to Bradford Young, the cinematographer? About, like, when you're a kid and it's, like, yeah. a rainy day on a Tuesday? Exactly. He said he wanted did. the whole vibe of the movie to be a rainy day on a Tuesday when you're taking the school bus into town. And it's like, sure. <laughs> so I did it up, but I was curious if dirty sci-fi is a real term or if that's just what he used to describe it. I don't know if that's a real term. Um, I mean, I could Google it right now, but before I do, I guess my interpretation of it is that I think it's a little bit of his broken English, and a quick Google search just revealed there's not really anything. The first thing that popped up was a Denis Villeneuve quote of (laughs) dirty sci-fi, and I think that might just kind of be because I I thought it was really cute. In one of his interviews, he talked about how he had been wanting to make a sci-fi film since he was 10 years old and in Canada they never gave him the chance and now look at him a rival right into Blade Runner right into Dune like he's doing living the dream uh yeah first look photos I am loving it I don't think I've seen it uh you haven't seen Oscar (laughs) Isaac's fat ass in space (laughs) for a second time camera lens like I'm gonna get you you know, oh. and I'm like, I'm ready for it. I am ready. It is interesting because I didn't, there's a lot of things just over the past few years. Like, I feel like I've kind of always been good at knowing actors and actresses names, but I've only recently in the past couple of years gotten good with knowing directors and cinematographers and like composers and, you know, all those other people that are important. And so the first time I think I really understood who Denis was was for Blade Runner 2049. So when I was watching the behind the scenes for Arrival, I was shocked that that's, that was his intro into sci-fi because I <laughs> I see him as Mr. Sci-Fi. Yeah. But then like his French movies were very like indie and then, mm-hmm. you know, he's got his really dark movies like Sicario and Prisoners and now it's like uh-huh. full-blown sci-fi. That's kind of like how I feel like this movie looks and feels is like it is indie sci-fi, you know, mm-hmm. if that's what he means by dirty sci-fi. Like when I think of traditional sci-fi, it's like it's clear, it's high def, it's super eight, it's the new trilogy of Star Wars, it's, mm-hmm. it's everything that J.J. Abrams makes. <laughs> yeah, and, but and this is like it's more like earthy, and it's it, it earthy is a good description. Yeah, it, it, you know, so I understand that phrasing. I like it as a as a term because it describes an aura. Mm-hmm. I want people to use it more. I mean, I would I would describe maybe like something like Ex Machina as dirty sci-fi. Yeah, or that Anni- has a Annihilation, and I think that both of those movies and Arrival specifically they come down to character rather than crazy technology or outer space or big fight scenes, it Mm -hmm. comes down to storytelling. And I think that's great. Yeah. And especially with like Ex Mahina, it's very much, it wants you to believe it's real. I wouldn't necessarily say that about Annihilation, but both Arrival and Ex Mahina are both like, this could happen tomorrow. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Watching that movie like during this time of quarantine has been very reflective of you know, real life government. I just, you know, we're watching the news all the time. We're watching governors speak on live TV and stuff like that. And that's kind of parallel in the movie with, you know, all the different like locations working together Uh to crack this code and stuff. And it feels very representative of what could happen in, in this circumstance. So, okay. So watching it, there was a point in the movie when things are going well, kind of at the beginning, when we're just feeling things out, we don't, know if they're a threat or not but things are being handled in a very calm way and in my brain I went 
oh, wow, this is so interesting. Like, I wonder what the world feels like right now because we're only seeing what's happening on the inside, whereas obviously, like, us three, if this were happening, we wouldn't know any of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then about one scene later, we see all the radicals, like, looting and, like, you know, raiding the streets. And then there's that guy with that video where he's like, we just need to shoot all the aliens. And I'm like, ah, that's more accurate. (laughs) The anonymous mask that's like spray painting, save our species along the street. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Kimmy, what's your initial thought on it? Um, so this is, I think like my third or fourth time. I didn't know you'd seen it that many times. Yeah. And the first time that I watched it, it was, it was one of those movies that I talk about where I was kind of upset because I didn't fully understand it, really. And going back and watching it again for a second time, knowing what is to come, I think is a whole different experience. Absolutely. And I, this time around, I watched it with my mom and sister who had not seen it before. And so they had a little bit of trouble kind of like understanding the themes and like uh, the root of what the movie is about at the end. And I'm obviously like in tears. I'm sobbing. Uh-huh. Um, my mom, which I promised her I would quote her on this, said something very interesting. You know, she receives the language and her mind is changed so that she's able to see time nonlinear. My mom was like, oh, kind of like watching the movie for a second time. You've already been <laughs> given the language, so you understand it better. I was like, whoa. <laughs> nice. Thank you for saying that. I'm going to tell them. <laughs> that seems like such a simple thing in a way, but no, yeah. I definitely didn't think about it like that. There are people out there who, the first time watching it, they they are smart enough to understand its meaning, but I, I don't know. I thought that was a really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. No, that's funny because I I think that I agree. I don't remember leaving it and thinking I didn't understand it, but I do I do know that I don't think it left the impression on me that it should have because I haven't gone back to it since. And, like, every time you talk about it, Courtney, like, I feel like I can't ever pull, me- like, very many memories of the movie. I think I told you this, but I was really glad that the Take 3 A Movie Podcast boys did it because I think I needed that refresh before going into it so that that language from watching it the first time was still in my memory. Because, yeah, I definitely had, like, a way more memorable experience this time around. I feel like the first time I watched it and was like, that was pretty good, like, especially for a sci-fi genre film. And this time it was just, like, an entire emotional experience that I didn't have before. You notice a lot more of the clues. Like, now I'm uh-huh. watching it, whatever. This is, like, what, what my fourth time or something seeing it. I'm, like, the, the clues are staring you in the face. Like, uh-huh. it, and but my mom and sister, like, they don't know how to catch it. Like, there's the one part where Louise says, if you want science, go ask your dad. Yeah. And they talked about how he's the science guy. You know, It's so obvious. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, like, now they're gonna figure it out that he's the dad, and they didn't, they totally Uh missed it, and I was like, oh my gosh, and that happened in, like, a lot of parts of the the film. I was telling Kayleen, because we were just typing in it over Zoom and everything, when Louise is going to reach for her daughter, her hand is, like, slightly shaking, and you just hear what she's saying to her, and she says to her, come back to me, and that's, like, her first thing that she says to the baby. (laughs) The last thing she says to Hannah when Hannah is dead in the hospital is come back to me. And it just, it's because she knows she's going to say that to her later. And she knows (laughs) why she has to say it now. 
It's like the second second that she meets her, she's already mourning having to give her up. Exactly. Um, And and it's just written all over Amy Adams' face, just across her eyes, across her mouth, across even just her little gestures. She knows exactly what's to come, and she knows the outcome of everything. And it's there for us to see, plain as day, if you know the ending. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the parts that stood out to me with that, the whole clues thing, too, that, like, really stabbed me in the heart is when she, like, falls into Jeremy Renner's arms, and she says, I know why my husband left me. I'm like, oh, no! (laughs) And And he's like, oh, you were married? And you're like, oh! Yeah. (laughs) My notes are kind of in chronological order if if you guys if you guys have, I'm sure you do have notes. Does that make sense to kind of go through the movie chronologically as far as our notes go or no? Sure. Okay. However, time is nonlinear. <laughs> I'm just gonna like throw everything on GarageBand <laughs> and like cut and paste wherever I feel like. That sounds like a good way to do it, I think. I think so. <laughs> So first of all, just starting off the movie, I know what's coming. And I guess I was being hypervigilant this time around, knowing that we would be having this discussion. Mm -hmm. But obviously, a huge theme, symbol of the movie is cyclical time. And I just noticed that at the beginning of the film, when it's kind of the preface where Louise is walking through the hospital hall, that it looks like it's in the round. You know, like she's Mm. traveling down the circle side. And I was like, I wonder if there are more circle symbols. Yeah. I mean, okay. (laughs) Obviously there, there are a lot, (laughs) but like, you know, subtle things like that, where it's Uh just like in the cinematography, it's in the environment. I'll say that my first note, because it is similar to that is my second note is literally that is that the hospital hallway is rounded, but My my first note, because it's it's my favorite opening shot of any movie ever. I think it is brilliant. It's like you're you're traveling along what feels like a floor, but it ends up being a ceiling and then it pans down to the best backyard and the best <laughs> patio window I've ever seen in my entire life. Um Louise and we have that picture in our living room. We do. Yes, that's framed in our house. Louise's patio, um, it's like two straight lines, which just like so much of this movie connects with me on like a personal level in terms of like parallel universes and things like that. But then on the side, she's got this awesome lamp that is shaped like the heptapod shell. Mm. It is shaped just like the shell, especially when the shells turn onto their side and then they lower in the final moments that they're on Earth and that they're with Mm -hmm. humanity and then they disappear in that shape as well. And her lamp is shaped like it. Nope. And we don't know that upon first watch. We don't know that that scene is actually from the, I mean, technically the future. Yeah. What if, what if like after the shells left and gave humanity the language, it became like a giant commercialized thing? So they're like, we have shell lamps, we have shell cell phones. Maybe, yeah. So she's like, people just give me shell things. You know what? I hope that there are children everywhere with heptapod stuffed animals. Oh, I, I, I mean, want they're one. Already, oh, that'd be so scary. Hannah's already making little Play-Doh figurines. Out she of yeah. <laughs> when you see, like, the heptapod bodies, yeah. they do not look like her little Play-Doh figures. I just <laughs> really want to watch, like, an episode of Sesame Street where there's, like, a Muppet that looks like a heptapod. <laughs> and he's like, you know how the, the Sesame Street characters teach you, like, the alphabet? They're like, A is fur, but they just hold oh, up, gosh. like, a heptapod logogram, and they're like, this is... Symbol is for yeah. 
Louise like sees it. future. <laughs> Yeah, that was actually one of the things where watching the behind the scenes, I know that we're constantly seeing the bottom part of the heptapods and that like in the end when she's in there with them, you see the top part. But in the behind the scenes, you see like the whole like the figurines and the design and just seeing it that many times. I was like, that creature is ugly. (laughs) He's super scary. Yeah, they're very scary. They kind of remind me of like a Grim Reaper. Yeah, like, just, it's just, there's something awkward about how it's shaped that makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's intimidating. It's yeah. Very menacing. Uh-huh. But friendly. Yeah. Um, my, my next note is just about the college. Cool. So, the college, because I even went a little crazy, and the part where it shows Louise's book called The Universal Language it very briefly flips to the back side of the book where you see, like, the jacket and it has a little biography for Louise Banks. I paused, like, 50 times. I zoomified. I enhanced. I was trying desperately to see, like, what actual college she was supposed to be a teacher at because she is supposed to be American, so we think, just because of how the military has brought her in. But that actually is a Canadian school. It is the HEC Montreal University, and it's the DeSells building, and now I have a new place to go on my bucket list. <laughs> and you're saying the place listed on the jacket is the real place they filmed? Nope. They didn't list anything on the jacket. Oh, um, uh, okay, okay. I'm going to send you guys the photo of the jacket that I was like, this is the best I can make it. <laughs> but even so, um, the jacket, from what I can still see, it, it doesn't say where she works. It says, Dr. Louise Banks is a professor of linguistics and an international linguistics, I think, correspondent. And then it says she is the author of China Linguistic Variation Procedures and Parameters, is what it might say. And then it says, this book was published by Charles Linnaeus Press, which I was like, is that a real press company? Is that like a real book publishing company? And it actually is not, but instead it is a nod to the father of taxonomy, Carl Linnaeus, who was a Swedish man who would go around classifying organisms and giving them names. That's cool. So kind of like a blend of science and linguistics. That is so cool. That's a fact no one cares about, but I do. (laughs) Detail in that props department is like... You know? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's cool. just bonkers that in movies like this, for the most part, you actually do have to invent an entire language. Like, you, someone has to make one up and then learn it and then know it just for the however much screen time it actually gets in the movie. Right? Talk There's everybody flashes. involved with making Lord of the Rings. That's exactly what oh, I was God. thinking about. <laughs> Which is so cool. Like, they had, like, linguist people specifically for like middle earth languages on uh-huh. people with their pronunciation and stuff of a made up language yeah all languages are made up i suppose <laughs> that's oh what is that mm, that's from something i was just watching yeah big brain thinking yeah it's from something i was just watching where they were like that's a made-up word and then someone goes all words are made up oh i know exactly what you're thinking of oh i know what it is is it infinity war Oh, I think it might be Infinity War. No, no, it's, it's, it's from the yes, Haunted Hill House. No, it's from Infinity War. <laughs> I think, <laughs> like... Hill House, where she says, a puffalo, and she says, that's a made-up word, and she says, well, all words are made up. 
I mean, they that are. is true. You know, I think it's also in Infinity War, but you are also right because I just watched that too. It is no, it's, it's, it's Nidavellir. Nidavellir, like that's a made up word. All words are made up. Uh, <laughs> all these movies thinking they can get away with this. Um, Cute. My next note, and I wish that I made it like specific. I didn't, but I guess it's just it just makes sense for the entire fucking movie. Um, love the colors. Love the fucking colors. They're uh-huh. so amazing. Every freaking shot. But obviously, you know, it's Denis. When those clouds rolled in for that one part, I text Courtney and I was like, those clouds! And I'm like, that's the money shot. Yeah. (laughs) I love movies like this where, um, and they said this a lot in the behind the scenes of they wanted everything to be well thought out and well researched and like explained to us, but they also don't, they're like, we don't have dumb audiences so why should we talk to them like they're dumb and I love movies like that where I feel like I'm learning but I'm not being talked down to they don't like double explain things for me because I can't understand but they teach me concepts that I'm not familiar with which is really fun I've read the short story several times now and that is even more jam-packed with linguistics theory with Mm. math with other philosophical ideas, and it's just mind-boggling, and I, I don't even know how to describe, like, half of it, but you hear it in this film, and it's just so Googleable. Like, I know that this film has made me go and Google so many different things, like the oh. Sapir-Whorf theory, like, Fermat's principle, like, there's just all these incredible things where maybe later on in our discussion of it today I'll get to talk about some of them, but for the most part, it's just all expert-level thinking that they've They've Mm -hmm. made palatable for people, which I think is incredible. Yeah. Other notes that I have just before we get to their actual meeting with the heptapods is, what do you guys think of the cornerstone of civilization is not language, it's science? Because I say bullshit, it's language. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you brought that up because the freaking key to the entire movie is said within the first 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. (laughs) It said when he when he quotes her the preface of the book mm-hmm. when he says that whole thing about language is the first weapon drawn in a war, mm. and I'm like, wow, that's freaking <laughs> brilliant because they that's the whole word that they mix up at the right. end, yeah. So when they're trying to like express knowledge or whatever, like gift or something like uh-huh. that, it comes out as weapon. And I just thought that was a really interesting parallel. It's basically explained at the beginning of the movie. We get it even two minutes before then with the Sanskrit word for war, meaning an argument yeah. or meaning a desire for more cows. Like uh-huh. it's right there. Is that offer weapon could mean I'm giving you a present. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's the same thing with the palatable what's the word, palatable concepts, similar to how she makes up the kangaroo story, but it makes a concept easy to understand. But again, with the Mahjong tiles bit, where she's like, if you're only playing chess, then you only know attack or defense. Like, why would you know any other kind of communication? And then my my other one, which was not deep or philosophical, I just love when (laughs) Ian says, coffee with some aliens. (laughs) (laughs) I want a bumper sticker that says that. <laughs> Coffee with some aliens. <laughs> well, you have a flask with, uh, what's it called? Heptapod yeah. language. What are they called? Heptapod. I can get drunk with heptapods anytime I want. <laughs> <laughs> but what's the, oh, that's just the word for symbols, right? The lith, what is it, lithogram? A logogram, but it's still logogram. just, it's still just called the heptapod language. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm ready to go to when we meet the aliens. Okay. 
this is the best sequence in a film ever. Oh. Where they meet the aliens for the first time. Like, I think they just so expertly executed the feeling of, like, exactly the the intensity and the suspense that they build up and, and the freaking noise. Yeah. To make you feel what it would feel like to see a alien for the first time. Like, uh-huh. I think it captures it so perfectly. <laughs> and it's, like, it's my favorite. Well, I think it's, like, one of my top three favorite parts of the film is, like, is the first uh-huh. It's so intense. I I really have, as little memories I had of my first viewing of this movie, I have even less of the trailer. I feel like maybe <laughs> I saw one trailer, if that. And I say that because I remember when I watched Arrival for the first time, you're watching it and you're obviously looking at the movie through Amy's eyes. So you want to be optimistic and you want to see them as like friends and to see this movie as a movie where aliens aren't there to fight us for once. But there's that part of you that's like, but what if at the end of all of this work, they still like eat you? Yeah. (laughs) You just don't know. It's funny that you say that like and about how it's such an iconic part of the movie because it's not my favorite part or my favorite shot but later in my notes I wrote that big sound effect when they first arrive that's it that's the movie to me (laughs) because if somebody mentions arrival yes I can remember how I feel about it but like instantly I just hear (laughs) it's like it gears you up it it gets you in the mood for the movie it does the first time I saw it I I, when I heard it I was like (gasps) Oh my god, that is so terrifying, but also so curious. I wrote this note of, like, it's such an aggressive-sounding language, and then I was like, what if that's what it was like to hear German for the first time? (laughs) Where you're like, ah, they're trying to attack. You ever seen that video? I, I wouldn't even know what to look up if I wanted to find it again, but it's like, what hearing English to people who don't speak English sounds like. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's this couple who are, like, yeah. eating at a dinner table, and they're speaking gibberish in, like, yeah. ten different languages, and they're just taking American words and sounds, or English, rather, English words and sounds with American accents, and then they go and they take Spanish words and sounds with an accent, and mm-hmm. it's really interesting. I, I could find that, yeah. For some it's reason... Like, you hear, like, a... Oh, a restaurant or dad or something. Oh. Because when, you know, when you hear Spanish, even if you don't, if you don't speak Spanish, you recognize some words. That reminds me of when we were in England and we were studying Grammarlow, which is basically just gibberish. And the guy whose videos we watched, he did Grammarlow in Italian. When we did it, obviously, we do it in our native tongue because it's easiest to do it in your own language. But um, basically, the point of it was so that we could do improv together and have it seem like it's a real conversation, but it's made up gibberish. That's not exactly what the Sapir-Whorf theory is, but later in the movie, they do talk about how it's the theory that the language you grow up speaking or the language you think in determines how you think and what you think about and I think that's definitely true, um, that the way that you place, like, subject and verb, like, determines, like, well, something's either being done to you or you're doing something, and it's just kind of, like, language really determines how it is that you're thinking. It, it yeah. It's, like, it's a controversial theory, I guess, in linguistics studying, but I, I think it's interesting. Yeah, because people are, I like, feel like it seems so obviously true. <laughs> right? <laughs> Who made the score for this film? Johan Johansson. Hell Yeah. Didn't and he recently pass away? He unfortunately did. 
sad. I know. Really sad. And also what's really sad is, uh, I'm ready to talk about this part if you guys are, uh, the incredible, magical, most beautiful way to start a movie ever with the song On the Nature of Daylight by Max Richter, and to yes. end it that way. And that song, I think, is so important for this film and does so much for the film but it is also the only reason why Johan's score was disqualified from being considered an Oscar contender. Oh! Because he used a song from 2004 that has already been in several movies, and the rest of this, the entire movie is is his own work, but he also used this one song for that particular moment, and it serves the film so well, but it disqualified yeah. him from an Oscar. Man, that's that really disqualifies? Yeah. Like, that's like respecting the vision aside from your own personal advantages which makes me feel like he deserves it even more (laughs) (laughs) because before i saw arrival i had seen three other movies that used this song in their climactic moment and i didn't even remember yep same it is used in stranger than fiction shutter island and it is used in a documentary called Hero Dreams of Sushi. And I don't remember it being in any of those movies. And yet I hear it in Arrival and my mind is blown. I yep. think that one of you mentioned it being in Shutter Island. Because I remember you guys mentioning it about another movie once. It's in Castle Rock as well. Oh. Apparently I haven't seen it yet, but um, <laughs> my sister just watched it. It's in that Willem Dafoe movie on Disney Plus called Togo. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> and, no, it belongs in Arrival, and it needs to stay there. And it was made for the movie Arrival. <laughs> I feel that like that is wholly true. <laughs> yeah. I know our boys talked about this, but I just, like, forgot until it happened. And it is so clever to name them Abbott and Costello. Yeah. It's just so and clever. I had that written down because... I, I couldn't remember what the significance of those names were. It's because of their language skit, right? Because of, like, their most famous skit is the who's on first, what's on second. So it's like a misunderstanding of language is their most famous skit, and then it's like a pair. So it's Abbott and Costello. It's and I like sh- that he came up with it and not her. Right? Because it's, it's him being like, I know linguistics. Yeah. <laughs> I know something fun. I've watched comedy. The only reason I know that, like, I knew the, the name Abbott and Costello, it's just, I feel like it, everyone does, even if you don't know what it means, it's just like, you know it. Um, but in high school, it was one of those things we studied in theater, where she was like, you should know about this, watch this skit. And then we all knew it. Something that I wrote down, which I feel like would have been a little more relevant earlier, but it doesn't really matter, is that when we were talking about which is better, science or language, I wrote a note that you can tell, especially, I mean, by her personality, but also just by facts, that science and language came together to make their daughter. Aww. So she's like Aww, the blend of the, the two. Eating Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, I was also really happy about, I think this probably happened the first time I watched it too, but when she was like, Mom, why is my name Hannah? I was like, because it's a palindrome. <laughs> and then she's like, because it's a palindrome. Yeah, I'm definitely going to name my daughter Hannah Louise. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say palindrome. <laughs> no, but do you know what else is a palindrome? Renner. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, Renner. Yeah. 
That's cool. That's a dumb fact for you. I like it. No, <laughs> I liked it. Now that we've talked about Abbott and Costello, like, I do have my last note on them would be when she is meeting Costello because Abbott is death process. And <laughs> um, it's after her and Ian have kind of snuck back up into the shell before it's blown to pieces. They are talking to him and she is going to use the glass to write in heptapod with him and she can't uh -huh. use both hands she only uses one while he writes the other one and they form a circle and what it says in the script it is not stated what that is meant to be it's just like they form a logogram together and it doesn't say what it's supposed to say but i think i figured out what it says oh <laughs> i think it looks a lot like later on when she is alone with costello in like the big white tiny shell yeah. and her hair's all floaty and she's kind of just bobbing around and it's he says to her Louise sees future uh -huh. and so the logograms look very similar in that the first time it looks like it doesn't say Louise it just says see future and it looks like that's what she can see uh -huh. and after she gets it for the very first time after they make the the logogram together there is a very weird shot where we are thrown outside of that time period and it's Louise back in her house and it's the only time where her living room blinds are drawn and she's just alone in her house with the curtains closed and she's looking around really confused and that to me just says that like even in the past like even when there was no Ian when there was no Hannah when she was just alone in her house she was experiencing that moment like the blinds are closed but she's having this realization because somewhere down the line in the future, she's experiencing that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to unpack here. And that's something that I just noticed for this first time is that the blinds are closed and they're never closed. She's got this beautiful open window all the time, but yeah. we see the lamp there, but we see that the shades are all completely drawn and she's standing alone in her house looking really bewildered. And it's because she's experiencing that moment at the same time. Yeah, speaking of the part when they're um, writing together before things get blown up, right? That's that exact part? Yeah. Who do these soldiers think they are that they can just go explode in aliens? I like, don't know. One of them seems like a La Domas to me. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is my first time watching that movie after having seen Ready or Not, and I was like, that fucking guy. <laughs> I know, and it's so sad, because in Ready or Not, for almost the whole movie, like, I love him, and in this one, he just has this face the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which the audience who's listening to this can't see, but it's a, it's a conniving face yeah well you know that person i think that person represents like a, a definitely a huge portion of the outside world and we really get to see that with his phone call to his wife and it's like such a mm. devastating phone call and he's so close to it he feels like he needs to take things into his own hands which is uh -huh. horrible and but understandable what if you have this hanging on your shoulders what if you feel like you could be the one to save humanity because nobody's acting fast enough yeah. like what would you do but it's also like use your common sense if they are aggressive aliens and you just blew one of them up like don't you think the other aliens are gonna like i don't know murder your whole species yeah there are yeah. 11 other ships by the yeah. way yeah. I know that we talked about this earlier, but I, I think it's really cool to 
see aliens portrayed in this way because you know regular cinema and stuff tells us that aliens are gonna come to earth in a hellfire and like destroy us and explode us and stuff and they talk about how these aliens are maybe scientists or observers yeah. or something because they're just hanging you know mm -hmm. and our first like jump to is oh they're gonna freaking destroy us they're so much more intelligent than us uh -huh. they're gonna eradicate us and, but they're here to just observe and that's just a really unique standpoint to to start a sci-fi movie it's just also kind of interesting like i think about as a kid, when you learn about, you know, movies about aliens and just the concept of aliens, like beings from another world. And I remember getting older and having this shift of, oh, well, aliens are this science fiction thing to, well, if we think about this logically, it could just mean a being so far away we can't get to them. And it doesn't necessarily mean this crazy evil force from outer space. And I think that this movie is kind of the same thing where it's a more sophisticated way of looking at aliens than the typical movie where it's like, well, if they're an alien, then they're here to attack yeah. and they're not real. I guess question for you guys, what are your thoughts on aliens? <laughs> oh, 100% think that aliens are like, there's, it's not that I think like they're fucking out there. And I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying this as somebody with like a tinfoil hat on or anything. It's just too crazy. It's too crazy, and I think ignorant. Can you Photoshop a tinfoil hat on Kimmy right now on Zoom? <laughs> I think it's too too ignorant and too much of a coincidence to think that we are the only beings out here. It's just like it's too miraculous that everything uh -huh. came into play exactly as it should be for there to be life in existence. It, and we're not. Yeah. It's too vast. That's why I fucking hate space. It's way <laughs> too vast. And we'll never communicate with, we just don't have the capabilities. And But, but what if they do, dude? Right. They're totally out there. No, I totally think, I totally think there's aliens. Yeah, 100%. It freaks me the fuck out. I'd rather say, no, there's no <laughs> such thing. You stupid. But no, there, there fucking are. And I'm like, just leave me here. <laughs> I guess I really just feel... I, I do think that it is narcissistic to think we're the only ones in the universe, but then there's the narcissistic part of me that's like, if we can't get to them, they'll never get to us. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I don't really fear it that much because I do feel like we would have seen them by now if they were close enough to get to. But also our technology is evolving all the time, and who knows how long their civilization's been around for. Maybe they've got twice the amount of years on us or something. I also think it's silly to think that they might be hostile, though. Yeah. And, like, um, I have a friend who is who is pretty nihilistic, and they, he loves to tell me, like, our world is so insignificant and so minuscule in the grand scheme of things, nothing you do matters. And I hate that because <laughs> I think that everything on Earth is significant in its own respect there's there's not gonna be another Shakespeare the way that we have him here on this earth there's never gonna be another Stephen Hawking the way that we have had him and I think that it's an incredible thought to think that maybe if there's another planet out there that they have their own idiosyncrasies that are just uh -huh. as unique and magnificent it's very possible they might have the technology to reach us and stuff 
And a lot like how in this movie they don't come out of the atmosphere. Like, they don't come out of their little enclosure the whole time. And even the gravity within their shell is different. So it makes you wonder if some other being did finally get the technology to come to us, would they... Would it be a War of the Worlds situation? Would they just die the second they get here because they've adapted to different conditions? Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> cool. What else do you guys want to talk about? Well, do you believe in aliens, Courtney? Uh, I believe Die Hard in parallel universes. That's kind of like the only um, sense of reality I know, is that mm. every choice I make, somewhere there is the exact same Courtney who has lived the exact same amount of time and years and everything, mm. making the opposite choice. So somewhere I am recording this podcast and that Courtney just said, yeah, I do. And another Courtney just said, no, I don't. And <laughs> I'm never going to meet those people. And somewhere there's another Courtney who already like is married to an alien and I can't help it. <laughs> the, you should watch Rick and Morty because that's what that whole show is, is they're like, there's infinite Ricks and infinite Mortys and they yeah. go talk to all of them. Yep, that's that's Courtney already is. just what my mind goes to. Courtney told me about this. Sometimes I'm like really happy because Courtney is one of the most intelligent people I've ever met and she <laughs> opens my mind to new ways of thinking that if I had had another friend would not have been privy to. <laughs> but I never thought about parallel universes until I met Corny, and I really wish that she never <laughs> brought it up. I will. She was, like, she was like, there was a year where I thought about parallel universes and like me dying and all these other parallel universes for like a year, and it gave me some troubles. And I was like, cool, that's like what I'm going to think about for the rest of my life. Well, that's my yeah. year. I, I had horrible anxiety for a whole year because every time I got into the car, I was like, somewhere there's a different version of me that is crashing the car right now. Oh um, my goodness. So Kimmy, I will both accept that compliment because somewhere <laughs> there's a parallel universe where I am your dumbest friend. And <laughs> somewhere oh there's, there's a version where you think I'm an idiot and you hate me. So I'll just be like, in this present time, thank you. <laughs> All right, I'd like to go one level deeper into this and say, what what makes you you? What what makes her Courtney? Is it her soul? Is it really even Courtney? Oh my god, get out of here! <laughs> maybe it is a soul, and then maybe like my soul was destined to be existing in some time or place. But like my grandpa had the choice from the Philippines to go to America or Sweden. And I'm like, why didn't oh. you choose Sweden? Because I'm <laughs> like, summer. I'm like me, I would like to have lived in Sweden then, but then would I have existed? Because no. Yeah. And I think about that stuff all the time. Like the, the path that my parents took to like create me. Mm -hmm. Like my mom tells me that she knew Martin Lawrence when she was young and that he would, like insist on going on dates with her I'm and she oh not Matthew Lawrence <laughs> Martin Lawrence Martin Lawrence that's so funny because my brain went Matthew Lawrence Martin Short and then settled on the correct human <laughs> who's Martin like, Lawrence yeah, he asked me to like go on dates with him and I was like no I don't want to and he, she just didn't feel it I guess and I'm like mom <laughs> I could have it made right now if Martin Lawrence was my dad but Maybe I wouldn't even be here. Right. Who's Martin Lawrence? Oh. Big Mama's house. Okay. <laughs> bad boys, bad boys. Bad boys. 
He was in one of the five movies that came out this year, Courtney. <laughs> That's insane. Your mom knew Martin Lawrence? Yeah, I'm going to ask her again. I'm going to bring it up again and see if she'll tell the story again. So, to answer your question, yes, I believe in aliens, but I also believe in weirder stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I also wrote this note. I had this realization, not from watching Arrival, but from later when I was watching Harry Potter. When Louise goes in the little... I mean, to be fair, Louise is pretty trusting of these heptapods. She has, like, a feeling about them and, you know, takes off her mask and all that stuff in the beginning. But when she goes into the little shell to let them take her up into, like, cloud area with her floating hair, I'm like, you know what? This is, like, in the third Harry Potter when he casts a Patronus because he already knew he could cast a Patronus. Wow. Nice. So she knew she'd be safe because she's already done it. She's always had this, and there's this Mm -hmm. stellar line from the book that I'm going to try desperately right now to find. Yeah, here we go. In the book, it describes what it was like for Louise once she actually knew Heptapod, and it says, Before I learned how to think in Heptapod B, my memories grew like a column of cigarette ash. Laid down by the infinitesimal sliver of combustion that was my consciousness, making the sequential present. So it's like, it's stacks upon stacks of memories. But later on she says, Heptapod B just affects my memory. My consciousness crawls along as it did before, a glowing sliver crawling forward in time. But the difference being that the ash of memories lies ahead as well as behind. And she says, I perceive during those glimpses the entire epoch as a simultaneity. She says it's a period encompassing the rest of my life and the entirety of yours. So she is experiencing these moments where she... The rest of my life and the entirety of yours. Exactly. (laughs) The entirety of yours. She can't help but live in every moment in time at the same moment. And so it's kind of like she never lost her daughter because... She feels her and she can remember that moment with her at the same time as she's feeling the heartbreak of losing her daughter. It makes no sense, but it seems like maybe Nirvana. It seems like I'm experiencing every great thing and every loss, but at the same time, like, they exist because of one another. It just, it's crazy. But like you said, that little glimmer of her that it does still follow, like, the line of, I guess, physics and reality that has to go forward and, like, you know, eventually die, makes me think of the part in the movie when she says, I forgot what, she says something like, I forgot what it's like to be held by you, or I forgot how how nice it is to be held by you, because as much as that memory is strong and and is in the past and the future, it's like, it's not the same as when you're really holding your husband or your daughter. It's not, and she says, like, I forgot how good it was to be held by you, knowing that that's only a brief period of time because there's the time before he ever held her and they get a divorce there's all that time after when he's not holding her yeah that's the same thing with hannah there's there's all this time where she thinks i thought this is where your life and your story began your story began the day they arrived but it kind of didn't your story really began the day that they departed and your story is is experienced at every moment. I I can't help but experience and, like, know your stories beginning and ending are the same thing because you're only here for 12 years. You're not here long Uh enough. Yeah. Damn. That's such a short amount of time. It's too short. In the book, she gets 25 years. Wow. However, in the book, like, there's a debate of... A lot of people are saying that it's sadder in the book because her death is preventable. 
But I think it's, it could also be argued that it's sadder that somebody only gets 12 years versus 25. Why is it preventable in the book? Because it's not a disease. She dies rock climbing. And you can simply, you can tell someone to not go rock climbing, but you kind of can't. Like, Uh Louise sees the entire world in the way that it has already happened. And I think, Uh I think that's a huge question. Do you guys think that the future is set in stone or do you think it's changeable? Or do you think if you knew the future, you would try to change it? Or to quote Louise speaking to Ian, if you could see your, (laughs) if you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? Okay. Well, I would like to, uh, I don't need to go first, but I think we should address these as two questions. Yeah. One being about like, the cycle of time and if it can be changed and then one about would you change it if you could sure so first question (laughs) yeah (laughs) do you think that the future is set in stone do you think it can be changed so being the queen of time travel movies (laughs) i find that this is always the issue and even in my favorite time travel movie they can't decide where they lie on the issue because and it's it's the it's the same idea that that's so Raven complex where like every episode she sees something that would not have happened if she hadn't seen it. But if you see it, can you change it? Can you not? And like for example, the Back to the Future thing where it contradicts itself. Like a lot of things get changed. You know, his parents are cooler. Like little things like the the Twin Pines Mall is now the Lone Pine Mall because he knocked over a tree. Like, the entire thing is just riddled with things that get changed. But yet, there's the part where they imply that Johnny B. Good was only written because he sang it in the past. So it's like, is it a circle or can it be changed? Is it a circle? So I don't know. I feel like if you can see the future, then how could it possibly be a circle? But that's just that's the that's the, just the problem with any time travel. Mm-hmm. I think question. I think if you can see the future, it's your choice to not change it, or it's the twelve monkeys route of I saw it and now I'm going to go change it. But it's the that so Raven effect. I tried to change yeah. it. I caused it. Yeah, it's hard to say because there's the other part of me that wants to believe the butterfly effect that something so small ruins everything. Yeah, for me it comes down to there are quite possibly a whole bunch of branches of a parallel universe from every single choice I've made, but I am only going to ever exist as this version of myself, and it's yeah. it's probably set in stone. I've probably always been destined to say these words in this order and then pass the mic on to Kimmy. Right. <laughs> wow. I didn't know you were going to say that. <laughs> but if I did, I would have logged off. That's so crazy. No, I think the exact opposite. I think that I've always thought that, and I don't really know if I have like a coherent reason for it. It's just like my belief. I don't think that there's such thing as fate, and I don't Mm. think that my destiny is set in front of me. I think that I'm put on this earth by some work. Maybe it's God, maybe it's science, whatever, and I'm given free will. And anything that I do can change the course of my future. I I don't think it's like trip over that rock over there. I think I can like use my focus or balance to like avoid it or something like that. Well, what if you were always destined to avoid the rock? (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know if I have like an in-depth answer for that. I just think that I don't think that there's such thing as fate. I think that's pretty bleak Uh for a lot of people. And I, it just, it makes me feel safer to know that I have some kind of say in, in my path. 
I really like that you bring up the idea or the concept and word of fate because uh. there is tons of fate obviously littered throughout this whole movie, even down to like the research aspects of it and like these tiny little droplets along the way where they talk about something called eternal recurrence. And Kayleen and I both watched the special feature on that. It was called like eternal recurrence, the score of arrival. That's what that one was. And what eternal recurrence actually means is this Latin phrase, amor fati, which is this Nietzsche idea of love of fate in that you just have to embrace it and you have to love the fate that you're going to experience because there's just this eternal recurrence in the universe where you're destined for things. And I think I believe that in a in not a bleak way, but maybe in more of just like this way of it was presented to me in the film Arrival and now I'm kind of like in this Louise mindset of sure maybe everything does happen for a reason and that, that that's a shitty thing to say to someone who's lost a child is everything happens for a reason but everything right. happens and that's what happened and you can't change it it's just instead everything happens and yeah. um, it is all f like jettisoning towards a purpose and it is all built together and like the universe is so big that if you zoom in close enough you're gonna find things that are all the building blocks um yeah I mean I definitely think and you know I don't want to I don't want to generalize this and say it about death because obviously death sucks I don't think should be treated this lightly um in the terms of like you said everything happens for a reason but I have found that this is like a, a tiny thing, but it was a fun thing I discovered while on FaceTime with Kimmy. It was like an everything happens for a reason moment. As you guys know, I auditioned for two plays at the same time a few months back. And there was one I wanted to get in more than the other, but the timing of them worked out to where I had to either accept one and risk not getting in the other or like risk letting it go to be in the one I wanted to be in more. Anyway, I got into one of the shows it was awesome, and we did the show, and if I was in the other show, it would have been canceled because of the coronavirus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, at the time, I was a little bummed because I wanted that one too, but I got the one I got and had a great time, and it would have been so shitty if my show got canceled. Yeah. And I mean, to quote Lady Bird, different things can be sad. It's not all war. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I think that all sorts of things in this situation are sad. Kids who don't get to have their graduations right now, that's heartbreaking. Or just thinking like in bigger things, like it is really sad and it is really scary, but I lost someone during this time. And it's because I lost them during this exact time that I'm able to be here with my family. I am working remotely now. So I get to live with my grandma while we're experiencing yeah. grief and while we're going through things. And it's the kind of thing where would I give anything to have my grandpa back? Yes, but I'm here because of what's happening. Yeah, that's one of those things where I'm like, okay, it's all coming together. Mm -hmm. It's all come. There is a reason for everything. Does that make right. it any less awful? Like the loss? No, but it's just yeah. where you're at. And it's like as shitty as it is to have to be dealing with something like that during a time like this, it does give way for you to, like you said, be able to spend more time with your family because you could just pick up your job and leave <laughs> exactly and be here now and it's a, a lot of things right now are, are really making you like take stock of what's going on and making you say like wow w wouldn't I love to be back to living in an apartment with Kimmy but <laughs> do I get it no and maybe that's because it's gonna like build towards something better where when I finally am reunited with her in a few weeks or a month or something it's gonna be all the more cherishable mm-hmm 
Yeah. yeah, I think it's super lame and cliche to say, but I keep finding myself saying it like a lot of stuff I've discovered that suck right now have kind of been blessings in disguise. And I just, totally. there, there was too much going on during, before any of this for me to realize it and make a better decision. I'm not saying this is a good thing, but taking some time to slow down and recognize what you have. And, and I think that that's important. Uh And I think that's a huge message of this film is that we're at a loss of control. I don't have control over everything, but I can work with what I've got and I can see the good in what I have. And I can know that there's heartbreak on the horizon or I can be experiencing it in the present and know that there were good times in the past or there will be good times in the future and that life and time are a circle. And I'm just at this point in the circle and it's going to come back around (laughs) and it's going to be okay. Yeah. And to address your question on if I could see everything, would I change it? I guess I can't speak for the future because I haven't lived it yet. But as far as the past, and I think this is a very recent change of thinking for me, but I really, truly believe and feel that if I didn't make certain mistakes or say certain things or do certain things that I, quote, regret, then I would maybe do them in a worse way later because I never learned that was shitty. I really don't think I've experienced anything where I didn't learn from it or feel that I needed it at the time. It's it's like with heartbreak or loss of friendships or relationships, like there's a reason eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. I I love that saying like hindsight is twenty twenty because <laughs> yeah. sure there's a lot of things in my life that I wish maybe I would have done sooner or realized about myself. Because then I would have accomplished more in that moment had I known what I know now. Yeah. But yeah, on on the other side of the coin, there's bad things that have happened to me that if they didn't, I wouldn't know what I need and want now. And I don't regret those things. But yeah, I guess if in the future, (laughs) if if things don't pan out, like (laughs) the way that I wish for, I guess, like that's going to kind of (laughs) suck. But I guess I don't really know what contents me Uh later in life or what I'll appreciate for what I have in the future until I get there. Yeah. I guess this will be like one of the small pieces of research I did, which I'm sure you also know, because if it's something where I had a question about it, I'm sure one of the many times you've watched it, you've had this question. But I was like, I gotta know what his wife's dying words were, because she said it. That's my last note. That's my last note. Did you look it up? No, I, I, it was a question. It was Oh, okay. Question. That was actually, that, you're saying that was the one note you had left? Yeah. No way! <laughs> yeah, so Courtney, by her face, I can tell she has definitely looked this up, but obviously they're saying it in a language I don't speak, and they don't give you subtitles. So I looked it up, and it's, in war, there are no winners, only widows. That's a dope and very poignant thing to say for the themes of the film. Yeah, because what they said, too, is you need to write words that are going to save all of humanity. And Eric Kaiserer is must have been like, excuse me? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> what what do I say? Um, yeah. How do I save humanity right now? And it would have been so much easier for them to just not have her say anything. Yeah. And by that, I mean, like, we don't hear anything. It's just through the glass and then they don't have to come up with something but like you said they made somebody have to take on the weight of putting in not only someone's last words but the words to save the universe yeah it's insane well are those all your guys's notes 
Um, for yep. the most part, when it was over, I just text Courtney and said in all caps, the human experience is so complicated. <laughs> it's just so sad. And she said something along the lines of, we know how much it's going to beat us up, but we want to go through it anyway, because it's worth it. And I think I've learned this a lot this year, but this film just really punched it into my brain. I really think it is a requirement, unless the film is just god awful. I think it's a requirement to watch every film twice before you decide how you feel about it. Hmm. Because sometimes I watch a film a second time and I'm like, okay, I was a little blind. That wasn't as good as I thought. Or I watch it for a second time and I'm like, was I just asleep the first time like how did I not notice how amazing this was but yeah okay so Courtney what other notes did you have my other notes are just that I would tattoo nearly every line from this film onto my body uh I already have an arrival tattoo in the works like it's gonna be the next thing I get whenever I feel like getting it and deciding upon where on my body I want it don't know yet thinking ribcage probably gonna back out of that but who knows In both reading the script and looking at the logogram dictionary that they have, because they have over a hundred of those things already, like, made and that that were meant to be in the film and they didn't get to all of them, but I feel a little cheated that we missed out on this amazing line where Louise is in that separate pod with Costello and, and asking him questions and he is trying to, like, give her this prompt and she doesn't understand it and she thinks she has to solve a, a question in order to be given a gift And she says to him, I don't understand. And he actually says to her, like, you do understand. He says, you already have. You choose life. And it's this amazing idea that, like, she's already done everything. She's already made the choice. And she did choose life for her daughter. And she did Mm -hmm. choose life for herself. And I think there's, there's this wonderful quote from Angels in America where it's like, bless me, I want more life, if you guys uh, remember that. And it's just uh-huh. this idea that, like, yes, that's what I want. I want life, like, no matter what it is. And I'm going to go through everything, but I, that's what I want. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And it all comes to a head with her line of, despite knowing the journey and where it ends, I embrace it and welcome every moment. What a killer way to end a movie. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> because we've all experienced heartbreak and we've all experienced loss and there's beauty that comes out of that and there was even more beauty within it and within the time that you got to love and cherish and accept other things and I just think that this is such a powerful movie for that specific reason that I'm gonna continue living I'm going to choose life and it's going to put me through the ringer at times but we're living it and that's 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 the most we can do is just choose to experience things yeah some of my favorite movies like echo that sentiment like you can't have any light without the dark. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you, you have to experience the bad to realize what good feels like. I mean, that's kind of how this time feels. Like, once we can just do something as simple as, like, going to that Italian place we like, we'll be like, best thing that I've ever experienced. <laughs> Whereas, like, we got so used to it that not it was fun, of course, but it's going to be so much more enjoyable after not being able to do something fun like that with your friends. Mm -hmm. What a theme for a movie. What a thesis to just say, like, I want to tell this story of what if you knew what was to come and you just still let yourself experience it. Because I would would rather experience pain than be shielded from it for my entire life. Can't live if you're not having ups and downs. Yeah, this is my favorite movie and um, 
I wanted to do it during this time period for a lot of reasons, which uh, refer back to the last hour you've listened to. Those are my sources. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, to close this episode, um, which really had no linear format, you're welcome. <laughs> we just wanted to maybe end with some uplifting things or suggestions on what to do while social distancing or living a nightmare here's ways to feel better i'm gonna share um a game that i've been playing an activity that i've been doing and a thing that i've been watching um to make me feel better and enjoy my time during this quarantine so i encourage you to try the same <laughs> The first thing is a game. I've learned how to play The Settlers of Catan. It's a dope-ass board game. It's super fun. It's super ruthless. And, um, yeah, like like a game of wits and strategy. It's, it's a lot of fun. A lot like Monopoly, but, like, more fun. And sometimes I do accents with my family. Really? Yeah, I'm like, don't, don't sell the sheep, my lord. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've still never played that. It's so fun. Kind of hard to learn, but super worth mm. it. Um, the thing I've been doing as an activity is a lot of bands and, like, DJs ah. have been putting on live stream concerts or recordings of their of their concerts from the past. Um, and my sister and I have been putting them on really loud on the TV <laughs> in the dark so that the, the lights kind of, like, strobe in the house and we have dance parties in there. That's so nice you have your sister to do that with you because yeah. you guys are both into, like, the same stuff. Yeah, we watched the Rufus Dussel recording of their Coachella set. That was super, super fun. That's very I cool. I think we're going to do it again and make our mom watch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, something I've been watching is Succession. It's oh. so dope. And I didn't really think I wanted to get into it, like, when it came out. It just seemed like a really dedicated affair. So worth it. It's probably, like, one of my favorite things now. Like, it's really good. It's so good. I watched the season finale of season one, and I was like, cool. That's, like, probably one of the best episodes <laughs> I've ever watched. I, I was watching it, like, with my mouth on the floor. I was like, I cannot believe what I just consumed that's these awesome. past 50 minutes. Oh, my gosh. And that's what I've been doing. Cool. I'll go next. Um, and I guess we're, we're kind of all in the vein of, like, game, something I've been doing and something I've been watching. I have just been nonstop playing Animal Crossing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on Nintendo Switch. All the people in my village threw me a birthday party. It was amazing. <laughs> they gave me cupcakes and we had a dance party. And my little, my little Courtney is so cute. I live on the island of Neptune. And all day long, I just... Go fishing and catch bugs. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a peaceful existence. It's so peaceful. The music is just so relaxing, and you're just you're just living it up on your own little island and like collecting hats. It's great. <laughs> um, and yeah, I really like my island and all the things that I can do on it. Um, something that I've been doing is I've been journaling a lot and writing letters to people in my life and handwriting a lot like like practicing calligraphy and journal entrying and just writing down quotes I like and sending letters to my friends and that's been really soothing and therapeutic yeah. and then uh, something I've been watching is 
putting myself to sleep every night with a good old-fashioned episode of 30 Rock. <laughs> oh! It's just the, the right amount of insanity that I need right now to just to just laugh at something ridiculous and to have fun. And there's a lot of celebrities right now that are really unhinged and off their rocker on Instagram. And no, mm-hmm. one, no one would do that better than Jenna Maroney from 30 Rock. So 30 Rock <laughs> is, it's giving me the right level of, of joy at this moment. That's so nice. Yeah. Uh, okay, so for my game, I kind of cheated on these because I gave what I'm doing, but then also a suggestion if you don't have the means to do the same things. So, for example, I just picked up again the other day playing Spider-Man on PlayStation 4 because I never finished it. Um, and I picked it up the other day after not having played it in a very long time, and I don't know how to fight to save my life, and so I keep picking fights to try to relearn how to fight, and it's very hard. <laughs> but if you don't have that, you also might not have this one, but we played Backgammon the other day, and I feel like that's just such a fun game. It, it makes me feel like I'm in a cabin in like a cozy retreat. Uh, we actually specifically play it a lot when we go to Dakota's grandma's house, but it's our backgammon set and we bring it with us (laughs) anyway that's a nice activity for being in your house a doable thing that i've been doing that you do have to go outside for but it's easy to stay away from people is rollerblading i've gone twice and i want to go more because i keep doing it with courtney too far apart to where i feel like i'm not getting any better so i'm trying to discipline myself to go like a few times a week so that i can actually get good at it Because right now I still am so scared and wobble around. And then the watchable thing that I have been doing is Boy Meets World on Disney+, Plus, which I never watched as a kid, and I'm watching for fun as an adult. So I encourage you to watch whatever show from your childhood brought you the most joy, because it's probably on Disney+. Plus. Well, you heard it in our last episode. Our next explanation is... Cry baby. (laughs) Da. See you then. Goodbye.